Blog Talk Radio. Guys, guys, radio podcast number 324. Welcome to the show. It is a glorious Sunday in New York City, Marathon Sunday, November 4th. We have a great show for you this evening. Our special guest is Duena Welsh. Dr. Welsh is a writer, PhD, and she's got two books. The first is Love Factually. Um, and the second one is love factually also, but there's a difference. One is for uh, finding love, 10 proven steps from I wish to I do. And the other one is for single parents and those dating them. So really good ideas. And I believe they're based on her blog. So she'll be calling us in a few minutes. We'll bring her on. Hope everybody's having a great day. Um, today was marathon day in New York City. Um, and the uh, weather gods were uh, in a good mood. It's interesting though. Woke up this morning with my wife, uh, looked out the window because we have a nice view uh, of uh, St. John of Divine up the hill in, uh, in uptown Manhattan from our bedroom. It's a really nice view. And um, we saw chemtrails, just the whole sky filled with these chemtrails. It's like, okay, people are going to have a good time and be in a good mood and a lot of energy, 50,000 runners, probably a, more than 50,000 people cheering them on in the five boroughs. So we get chemtrails to uh, squash that maybe. I don't know. Uh, but it was a glorious day. I took my son up to the uh, highest point in Central Park. It's called McGann's Point, And uh, it's a, uh, a fort, uh, Clinton, it was called. And it was in the Revolutionary War. And then again, in the Civil War, it never really was used in battle, but it's just the highest point in Central Park. So it has its way up uh, uh, just south of the Harlem Mirror near 110th Street. And uh, it's got a really great view. So from up there, there's a cannon. So my son, he's five, he's climbing around on the cannon. And we could hear the marathon. We could see the runners on Fifth Avenue. And then we walked down through the Botanical Gardens there over to Fifth Avenue and saw some of the runners. Pretty cool day. And then I took my son to the playground. He was more into that than he was seeing the marathon. But, hey, you know what? He exposed the kid to, to some new things. And uh, some of it's going to sink in at some point or another. And you just roll with it from there. And you say, okay, hey, if he doesn't dig the marathon, that's cool. He's only five. But at least I showed it to him. So that was my attitude today. I've also been uh, – I just started uh, using Instagram. In, Instagram. Um, to, uh, I, I put photos on there all the time, but I see so many people, um, posting videos there and on Facebook live. I haven't done the Facebook live thing yet. There's just so many choices for posting these things. So I figured, okay, I'll do these little 30 second posts where I am a little bit of information kind of over and out. I don't want to, I'm not going to show people my food or I'm not going to strut around flexing muscles in my underwear or something like that, like some of these folks do, especially on Instagram. Uh, but but um, I just do a little guy's guy's guide on there. 
that I've also done on uh, Guys Guys Radio. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So I'm using my new, I've got the iPhone uh, 10R, and I love it. It takes spectacular photos and great videos, and the sound quality is awesome, not only if you listen to music, but also if you make a phone call, you can hear really clearly the person on the other line much better. I had the 5S since 2012. <laughs> it was six years, six and a half years that phone lasted, and the battery was starting to go, and I figured, okay, let me get the upgrade. I'll go for the 10R because it, it suits my needs, and uh, I can pay it off over time. And it's fantastic. I just absolutely love it. The, the coolest thing about it is the battery goes on forever. You know, it goes a couple of days, maybe like three days. So it's really uh, stupendous. Uh, Apple really did a number on this one and uh, really good stuff. So anyhow, take a look on, uh, if you see me on Instagram, I share it over to Facebook, but I'm not sure how you do, if you have to do Facebook live different, differently and separately from having Instagram share over to Facebook. And then when Instagram shares to Facebook, it shares to my personal page right now. I'm thinking, well, should it go to my author page? All the stuff, when you're building your brand, you have to sort out through all the social media stuff. It's, it's as much work sometimes as creating uh, fresh content. And I, I, as a guy's guy, what I want to do is create fresh content, serve up uh, information that people can consider whether it's from me or my guests on Guys Guys Radio or my blog on robertmanny.com. Um, we want to put information out there for your consideration, basically, because I think a lot of people nowadays are seeking. They're saying, you know, there's got to be more than you go to work and you, you're tired and then you have to listen to the political fights at night if you're watching TV. And it's just people are dissatisfied. And as I mentioned last week on the show, I saw a survey that said both – over 60% of both Republicans and Democrats, they don't even like people who disagree with them. And it's getting pretty harsh out there. Um, so, uh, you know, we need to send more love out there and just uh, know that um, the election for the midterms, I've never seen a midterm had as much attention on it. And hopefully it'll get a record amount of votes because People, obviously, a lot of people were upset with 2016, but, you know, 100, uh, 50%, I think 100 million people didn't vote. <laughs> you don't vote. You know, you can complain, but you got to vote. Uh, that's all right. And if enough people get together, we can make some change. And you know what? I don't think that all the machines, you have to get into individual machines to, to, to rig them. And I, I don't think the whole thing is rigged. I think maybe people who are picked to run, there might be, you know, that's kind of out of our hands. But uh, once we get out there and vote, I think the votes count. So anyhow, that's my point of view. This is Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. What's a guys guy, you ask? Well, casual confidence, kind of a modern day's man's man, but in the best possible way. Not the old school macho man, but casual confidence, unassuming strength, seductive integrity, emotional intelligence, timeless style, and fun. And uh, we do the blog, as I mentioned, uh, it's called On Life, Love, and the Pursuit of Happiness. It's on my website, robertmanny.com. It started with my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. Yep, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. And it's a novel. It's about a guy, two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. One of the, the main characters, he writes a column about, about love and about 
men and women and how women may not want to know the real truth about men. And, you know, it's not that bad. And he gets convinced to write a column about it. And he decides to expose his best friend who's a real womanizer. And then things get crazy. So anyhow, that's how we got here on Guys Guys Radio. And as I said at the beginning of the show, we have done 300. This is the 324th podcast. They're all free. You can get them all on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and our platform, Blog Talk Radio. And I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I'm doing everything I can to bring you the best guests. We've got a great guest tonight. Uh, Dr. Welch is going to be out in a moment. Um, We're going to talk about her two books about love. So we're kind of back to our roots. We started out with relationship experts exclusively on Guys Guys Radio. And since then, we've kind of expanded the club, so to speak. We've got wellness experts. We've got um, metaphysical teachers. We've got channelers. We've got psychics. We've got there's a lot of people offering uh, alternative ways of uh, viewing the world and viewing life and some ways to heal and ways to think and ways to have open minds. And so that's what we're here for. And then you decide what you want to do with it. It's up to you. We're not trying to uh, take away from anything else. Any of the businesses are out there making money. We're just saying, you know what? Let me give you an example. I believe in Eastern medicine. I believe in Western medicine. Uh, You need a combination uh, there's great technology with Western medicine, with robotic surgery and things like that. But, you know, there's not a lot of preventive stuff. So we need to kind of learn about that and do things on that on our own. And uh, that's just the way it is. If the industries don't like that, well, too bad. You know, there's probably a lot of a lot of technology out there that we haven't uh, been introduced to yet. And so I think it's just a matter of uh, they have to figure out a way where uh, all the big businesses can make money on those things. Because if people just stay healthy all the time and they're not spending money, that's not a good thing for those businesses. That's just the way it is, folks. So be patient. There's a lot of good things in the pipeline, I think. Uh, What else is happening? Um, As I mentioned, we had spectacular weather here in New York City today. Picturesque. Just absolutely perfect for a marathon. The temperature and the uh, high 40s and uh, low 50s, sunny, cloudless sky, gorgeous. A uh, little breeze in the morning, then it uh, burned burned off and the breeze stopped. Just a beautiful fall day. The leaves, the foliage, all of a sudden, boom, breathtaking. I took some photos, uh, uh, posted them online. So check it out. Uh, you can check me out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, my website, robertmanny.com, YouTube. We've got some videos there. And again, you can pick up my book on uh, on Amazon, any of the e-tailers, and it's still in some bookstores. Okay, what else? Uh, yesterday, I took my family up to uh, Arthur Avenue in the Bronx. You know, in all my years in New York City, and my name ends with a vowel, so I do have some Italian-American uh, heritage as well as some other things. I had never been to Arthur Avenue. I'd been to Little Italy, not impressed at all. Um, especially coming from an Italian household where we had great food at home and uh, hailed uh, what you get in Little Italy. Uh, and Little Italy has had, had problems because it's gotten smaller and smaller over the years. But, um, you know, it has that tourist trappy kind of feel to it, unfortunately. Um, so Arthur Avenue is gorgeous. I uh, hadn't been up there. But it, you know what the thing is? It's not you know, there's not a subway that's like, next stop, Arthur Avenue. You have to go up to like where Fordham University is in that area, Fordham Road, and walk over, or you can get off on the Grand Concourse and walk down there, down 187th Street through various neighborhoods. And it's just, you know, it's a trek. It's a destination. You have to want to go there. But once you get there, it's tree-lined streets, picturesque, really nice restaurants, not touristy, 
um, some great Italian uh, places to buy fish and cheese and mozzarella and to have coffee and cappuccino. And we went to a place, I wrote it down, Zero Auto Nove, Novo, kind of a newer place in uh, Arthur Avenue. Very good. We bought some uh, mozzarella at Casa de Mozzarella. And um, we went to the famous fish place, which I, the name eludes me right now, but we had some great fish. We bought some very big shrimp. It was only like 19.99 a pound for these colossal size shrimp. So we're going to actually, I'm going to have them after the show, a little shrimp Parmesan with some pasta that we got. So that was my weekend, beautiful weekend, Arthur Avenue, and then the marathon today with my son. So here we are on Guys Guys Radio. I could talk and talk and talk. I got lots of other stuff going on, um, but we're going to take a break. We're going to bring out our guests and get right to work then. So this is Guys Guys Radio. You're listening to the Guys Guy Radio. All right, we're back on Guys Guys Radio. As I mentioned, tonight we're going to talk to Dwayne Welch. Uh, she's an author, and uh, her books are about love factually. And the first one is 10 Proven Steps from I Wish to I Do. And the second one, which is coming out in January, is love factually for single parents and those dating them. And uh, it looks like there's a franchise, kind of a brand movement going on and it started with her blog. So she's inspiring me with this work. Um, pronounced Duena Welch, actually. She's known for using social science to solve real life relationship issues. So I'm going to ask her about that. And, you know, when you take science and you deal with romance, romance is one of those mystery, mystery issues sometimes. But let's see how uh, her point point of view and perspective is about applying science to it. I think it's going to be a fascinating talk. She's been professor at universities in Florida, California, Texas over 20 years, and she's contributed all over traditional media and social media, NPR, PBS, LA Talk Radio, Red Book Time, Daily Mail, HuffPo, um, all over the place. Her first book, as I mentioned, Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps from I Wish to I Do. It's out globally, five languages, and the new one, um, Love Factually for Single Parents and Those Dating Them is the second book in the series. It's coming out in the uh, beginning of January 2019. And as I mentioned, they rely on science rather than opinion to help men and women uh, keep and find the right partner. So that's right in line with uh, Guys Guys Radio. This is the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. That's what we want, men and women to win. There's no reason why we can't. Um, her practice is global. She helps clients via Skype and other technologies. And she's happily married. And um, she'll tell us about her website and the book and everything else. But let's bring her on right now. Good evening, Duane, Duana Welch. <laughs> Sorry. Hi, Robert. Good evening to you. It sounds like you've had a wonderful weekend there in New York. Yeah. Where are you located? I'm in Eugene, Oregon. Wow. Okay. What was it like there today, this weekend? Well, it's it's like what it's supposed to be like if you don't want wildfires. It was nice and wet. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, are you from Oregon? Oregon no, I'm Oregon? a sixth generation. Yeah, I'm a sixth generation Texan. Oh, okay, fantastic. Okay, How, do you, yeah, do you so like what, do you like living in Oregon versus Texas, or? I do. I do like living here. Uh, of course, I liked living in Texas, and I also liked living in California and Florida, and I even mm -hmm. lived in the U.K. for a while. I never lived in New York, but uh, my best friend did, and so I used to go to New York City quite a bit to see her, and I loved it there, too. It's a beautiful country we have. 
Yes, it is. It is. And hopefully people will be loving towards each other. Uh, after Tuesday, there's not going to be too much animosity, animosity one way or the other, but we'll see. But let's talk about love and um, the kind of the one-on-one love. So you had a blog, I guess, and you're, you're inspired by the blog to write your first book. And now you're writing the second book, Love Factually. Is that, is that how it went? Yeah, more or less, that's how it went. Uh, I was a professor at Cal State Fullerton, and um, I wound up leaving that because my child had a a chronic and serious illness, and um, I was a single parent looking for love, and I wanted to use science instead of just opinion to find someone who was right, not just for me, but for my child. And Mm -hmm. when Vic, my husband, and I met, he said, you know, it's a running joke with all your friends that if anybody says anything about romance, next thing out of Duane's mouth is going to be, well, you know, there was a study that showed. And he said, you know, you know all this really cool stuff that has helped us, and uh, I think it could help a lot of people, and I think you should write a book. But my child was only six years old at the time, and I really didn't want to take the time to write a book. And mm-hmm. so I started a blog instead. And then some of the fans of the blog um, – kind of blew it up and really encouraged me to write a book. And so that turned into my first book and that's now become a second book and a global quiet practice, as you so generously mentioned at the beginning. And uh, what can I say? It's a wonderful life. It's uh, happiness born of initial unhappiness and science was definitely the big benefit in my case. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's start there because um, I, I interview and speak with some tremendous uh, dating relationship coaches and experts around. And, and a lot, I get a lot of women um, who come on who are taking a more scientific approach now and um, kind of demystifying. And I'm always wondering, well, how far do we go with science where, you know, there's something about mystery and romance and all of that. How do you balance, um, and I know it's human behavior, so there has to be science, but how do you uh, guide your clients in terms of how to balance the science without taking the air out of the romantic balloon, if you will? Well, I don't find anything particularly romantic about stumbling around hoping for the best and being in a lot of pain, A which is what a lot of people are doing right now. I don't find that romantic. I just find it painful. And B, I know exactly how digestion works, but I really enjoy eating. So I don't think necessarily knowing a lot about love deprives us of the profound sense of gratitude, peace, uh, excitement, and happiness that we can have with the right partner. I mean, I know all about how all this works, and I still went to the movies last night with my husband and held his hand and was delighted to be on a date with him. So I don't think it's either or. I think it's both and. Um, when I'm talking with clients, I don't give them a science lecture because if they wanted a science lecture, they would find one. <laughs> they would listen to that. But instead what I do is I listen to them, and when we get it clear what they want, I help them find that, and I'm guiding them based on science but without sounding like a textbook. And I always have in the back of my mind, and uh, I mentioned this to them too, of course, that our lives are our own experiments. Science tells us what works for most people most of the time, and that's the benefit of science. But nothing in this world is going to tell you what will work for every single person every single time. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, we try stuff out. What I'm helping them try out is stuff that I know works for almost everyone. If it doesn't work for them, we always have plan B, C, D, and E. 
Now, you mentioned uh, at the beginning of your answer about there's so many people out there they're dealing with, when I mentioned romance and all that, that they, you know, they're all, you're dealing with pain. And what, what is it about, uh, is it about today's uh, culture? Why are people in such pain where, you know, uh, you know, romance seems like fairy tale land versus, you know, it's part of love. Um, talk to me about that. Maybe well, I'm I naive. think that's a really, I think that's a really brilliant question with kind of onion-like layers of answer, but possibly the kind of easiest, most obvious answer would be that in the 1950s, when we started seeing data about the formation and sustaining of romantic relationships, most people married someone they could have walked to from wherever they lived. And because they could have walked to that person's house, that meant that they had a lot in common. We know for sure that having your core values and your ways of living in common really helps to make a marriage happy. So they had something going from them for, the, for them from the very beginning that was really helpful. Now, uh, increasingly people meet online. I met my husband online and that can be very helpful in the sense that you can screen for similarity, but at the same time, um, there's a layer of trust and accountability that might be missing there. You know, I, I didn't know people in common with Vic when we met. I had to hope that he was who he represented himself to be and vice versa. And um, there were a lot of rules about dating in the 1950s that no longer exist. Um, I, I want to put it right out there that I'm a feminist, meaning that I believe that men and women should have all the same uh, rights and compensations for their abilities. Sure. That said, men and women also do have very different psychologies when it comes to mating. And the old traditional rules used to take advantage of those psychologies and help people to leverage them so they could send the signals the opposite sex responds most favorably to, and they could set up um, a happy relationship. And we don't have those same rules anymore. I'm kind of conflicted about that because I'm not real thrilled with some of the old rules. But at the same time, I'm an empiricist, meaning I want to go for what works. And a lot of the old rules worked. For example, the guy reaching out and paying the bill. That actually works really well from a standpoint of men getting the biological feedback they need to know whether they're falling in love with a woman and a woman getting that same feedback to know whether a guy is sincerely interested in her. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, on the first date, I think, and I've spoken to a lot of uh, female experts and uh, it seems to be universally the, the women want guys to be guys in the best sense of the word. And they want them to plan out a date and, and pay, pick up the check for the first date. I completely agree. Now, after that, um, how do you see it? Where do you think like the guy always pays or is it like the first date to get things going? He has to kind of step up and say, I'm interested, but through his action, show his interest through his actions, his, pursuit, not in a, you know, uh, stalking, stalking pursuit, but just a pursuit to say, you know, a, a romantic type of pursuit where it makes the woman feel that she's wanted, goes out of the way to pay attention and say, oh, she likes to do this. So I'll set up a date about this and, you know, do the things to impress her by showing how he pays attention and then picks up the check on the first date to take that awkward moment off the table. And then, but from there, it seems like Anything can kind of go at this point. What's your thought on that, Duena? Well, you're, you're absolutely right that anything can go, but from a standpoint of what really 
helps people feel secure and and helps them to feel that things are going well. Um, anything going is not really what's most helpful. So if we if we take a step back from this, there are actually a lot of animals, uh, especially birds, where the male shows his sincere interest in a female by courting her. Mm-hmm. And um, he often makes goes to extremes. He doesn't just feed her. He may build her a house. By the way, lest this sound ridiculous for people, in China right now men are building houses in the hopes of attracting a wife because the competition for wives there is so Mm -hmm. severe. And you can always see the mating psychology of any given gender brought into sharp relief in any environment where there are either a lot more males than females or a lot more females than males. And right now there are a lot more males than females in China. So these men are offering what women want. What women want is courtship. They want the man to provide food and, and shelter and basically provision and protection and um, to show that he's not only able to do that but willing. So what women are looking for is not just whether you will provide for not just the first date but subsequent dates until there's some level of mutuality established where it's like you're a going concern now. You're not just getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, however long that is. Different couples have different lengths of time for that. They don't just want that. They want even more than that. that the, to see that the man is eager and feels like he's happy to do it. You know, when my husband was courting me, he didn't grudgingly buy dinner. He was thrilled to have the chance to do it. He felt like he was lucky to be with me, and he told me that all the time. And that was, a you know, he's a very likable human being, but if he didn't feel that way about me, I wouldn't have trusted him the way I wound up trusting him. I would have possibly felt that he was just trying to get sexual access, not trying to get all of me. Mm -hmm. As per that point, um, some women that I've spoken to um, sometimes feel that, well, I don't want the guy picking up the check all the time, even at the beginning, because I don't want them to think that that means that I have to pay them back somehow usually in a physical mm-hmm. way. How do you, how do you kind That's of right. counsel your uh, ladies to navigate uh, and the guys too to kind of navigate that? Because it's not fair. You shouldn't like, oh, I paid for dinner, so you have to go to bed with me. That's not how it works, guys. Sorry. No, that's called, if you want that arrangement, there are people who provide that service, but right. they're not called dates. They're called prostitutes. Mm. Right. So I always tell women, look, we're dating, not hooking. Like you, you're not obliged to offer up anything. Um, So here's the way around this for both men and women. And the way around it is so simple. Don't go out for anything expensive. The first time you meet someone, you know, there shouldn't be, if you want to keep a clear head and really evaluate. And and by the way, I'm okay with people hooking up, but those aren't my clients. The people who want to be my clients are looking for Mm -hmm. a serious long-term relationship. And that's why, you know, my first book is Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps for My Wish to I Do, not 10 Proven Steps to Hook Up with Anyone. So my perspective here is definitely kind of long-term mating psychology. And from a long-term standpoint, uh, you're absolutely right. In a huge Match.com survey within the last year to two years, it was shown that the number one reason women um, – were afraid of men picking up the tab is they felt that there would be sexual pressure later on. 
Right. At the same time, men worried, men felt like they were really, really stuck. They were damned if they do and damned if they don't, because if they didn't pick up the tab, women didn't like them anymore, thought they were cheap. But then if they right. did, women thought they were going to pressure them, and they just felt really caught. And the right. simple solution for this is, guys, ask her to go for coffee or a walk and a coffee on the first date. Don't do anything. You don't need to monetize. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the yeah, second so. date, maybe mm-hmm. plan a picnic. Any guy can afford a picnic. The important mm-hmm. thing is really not that you're spending a lot of money. The important thing is that everything that's spent is spent willingly, joyfully, and with an open, generous spirit. And so you take the pressure off by having these dates not be very expensive. Um, now, I had people years ago, I, I did a survey on best and worst first dates, and this wasn't like, I mean, really worst first dates involve rape and, and beatings and horrific things like that. But these were like normal, nonviolent first dates that have gone wrong mm-hmm. or gone very right. And women were remarkably clear on what they considered to be the best dating advice they could give based on their experiences, good and bad. They said, um, and this is a quote from one of them, but it summed up a lot of them. Uh, guys, pay for the tab in full and without complaint period. (laughs) So it was very clear language on that score. But they also agreed that it wasn't important that the date be expensive. It was important that the guy show that he was being thoughtful. So for example, a student I had years ago, because I used to teach this stuff, she raised her hand and said, you know, this one guy wanted me to go jogging. Look at me. I wear double D's. Jogging is not my thing. (laughs) Maybe that's why you (laughs) wanted her to go jogging. It may be, but she was not impressed because she thought, you know, this is the height of thoughtlessness here. You know, a woman who wears a size double D cup is is not likely to really think it's fun to have to restrain those while she's jogging. So Mm -hmm. uh, she wasn't impressed by that. I I had another woman who she's in the book. She gave me permission to use her story. Her house had burned down to the, I mean, it had completely burned down and she had a couple kids and she was dating and this guy asked her on a date and he planned the date. He planned a movie and dinner combo. And the date he took her on was a movie that ends with the fiery explosion of the world. Like the whole world blows up. I guess you go for dessert after that, right? Yeah, right. No, she never wanted to see him again. And she said, you know, Mm -hmm. I know it's not, fair. She's one of my clients. She said, I know it's not fair, but the fact is if you read the reviews, which he had done, it was real damn clear this was about the fiery end of the earth after my house had just, just burned down. Jeez. So he was it's being like, insensitive. So He was insensitive. And so what came out in my survey and then in other research that other people have done is that Women are looking for generosity and thoughtfulness, and you can be generous and thoughtful without spending much money. And that really seems to be the way to take the pressure off of everybody. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about men for a little bit, because uh, you mentioned, you know, where they kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. And um, I always like to say that, you know, if you're a good, good guy, a guy's guy, this, there's never been a better time in a lot of ways to be a man. But uh, mm-hmm. because this is a time where men can be whoever they want to be. There's never been a time like this. However, this is also a time where it's never been less clear who men are. So how do you uh, kind of advise women about men and men about being a man? Okay, so 
the happiest unions are between people who are pretty egalitarian. They are, for example, they don't buy into sex roles very clearly. They don't believe that the man always gets what he wants and the woman has to do what he says and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're more likely to share, if not equally, in childcare and work. They have less of a rigid division of labor around those things than generations that came before us have. Mm -hmm. So that's the good news. Um, the bad news is that men get really confused because women say talk about your feelings, but then if guys cry, women are kind of turned off, et cetera. So right. it, it, again, can seem like a catch-22. I'm going to make this really, really I'm going to give you a rule of thumb that will always stand you in good stead. This has been found to be true in more than 37 different countries and cultures. Men want a man who is both willing and able to provide and protect. That's what they want. If you can show them that you are both willing and able to provide and protect, you're going to be a winner at love, at long-term love. What does that mean? Well, in our particular society here in the United States. And of course we have a lot of subcultures here too, but basically what it means is you have enough education or enough connections or enough of a uh, job experience that basically you're going to bring in a sustainable living wage. You may, it may not be that you provide for everyone all the time without any help, but you at a minimum do not need for the woman to provide for you, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, um, it means that you are generous. Women are more interested in generosity than they are in how well off you are. There's a story I used to tell. It's in my first book, and, but I used to tell my students the story as well to get their take on it. There was a client of mine who allowed me to use this story. All, all the stories in my book are true, and I get permission to tell all of them before I put them in the book. There's this woman who... Um, she had a couple kids. She was dating a very wealthy man. Um, if memory serves, the guy was talking about building her her own wing onto his house, and they were going to get married, and he had houses in various places around the world. And um, he told her he wanted to marry her, and she called me and said that she, her gut just didn't feel right about saying yes right away. And I said, anytime your intuition speaks, you have to listen because intuition is the right side of your brain that is nonverbal, um, trying to direct you toward action that will say, possibly save your life and at a minimum um, help you feel better about things. And I said, so the fact that you don't feel like you can just say yes is something to pay attention to, not something to just call me about Barry and move on. So I said, I think, you know, you need to have more of a conversation around this and tell me, first of all, what do you think your hesitation is? And she said, I don't know. I just get the feeling that there's something about, I just don't think he really wants to take care of me. I get the feeling like he doesn't want me to date anybody else and I won't move in. So he's offering to marry me, but I don't think he really wants a wife. He, he wants me to be his girlfriend who lives with him and this is the only way he can get it. And I said, well, my inclination is to think you're probably correct, but let's find out. Um, next time you're with him, ask him, so if we got married, what would that look like to you? And ask him what it would look like in terms of where you live and finances and all that. Well, it turned out that he didn't want to provide for her or her kids pretty much at all. I mean, they, they could live with him. 
but he wanted all their finances to be separate. This is a multi-multi-millionaire with houses all over the world, and he doesn't want to provide for her. And so what I've asked from my students is, do you think she should have married him? And I have never had a woman raise her hand yes yet, ever. They're like, nope. So what it turns out in research to be is that it's more important that men be willing to provide than able. A millionaire who wants to hoard it for himself and not share is not desirable from a female point of view. Much more desirable is the guy who works for mass transit who maybe doesn't make very much money but who is very generous emotionally and in all other ways so that she can feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've how got do you, that, you're, you're a great guy as far as we're concerned. Right. I think I, I think I got your answer, but for some men, you know, this is a little confusing because they say, okay, on one hand, women want us to be traditional in that we protect and we provide and, uh, and we make the first move and we plan the date and we pick up the checks and we do that for a while. It doesn't have to be expensive and all of that, but it's the generosity of spirit as well as taking your wallet out on the flip side. But now the world is a different place because women are, you know, they're still not getting a fair shake in terms of pay, but it's closer than it's ever been. And it will get to hundred uh, percent equity at some uh, equality at some point. And so we're competing with when before, you know, when my dad, some guys will say, you know, when he was going to work, it was all the guys were at work and the women were staying home. And now it's all the guys are at work. All the women are at work. And we're supposed to, we're, you know, the, what we do gets cherry picked, like, okay, we still want you to provide, we still want you to protect, we still want you to pick up a check, but we want the same amount of money, we want your job. How do, how do, you, how do you talk to men who say, uh, you know, we're, we're, this is a much tougher environment than what our dads had? Well, first of all, that's a very racially skewed way to put it in the sense that only a white man is going to come up with that way of thinking about it. Black men have always known that women and and Hispanic men have always known that women were out there working. You talked about Little Italy at the earlier part of your program. And most of the immigrants who originally came to America, the women worked too. It wasn't the case that we have a very skewed picture of, you know, that that men did all the work that was paid and women didn't do any of the work that was paid. But that was really a small slice of the economic pie all the way through. Um, I know that one of my great grandmothers was a migrant farm worker. And, um, you know, I mean, as a child, she worked just as hard as the adults did. There had never been a time when somebody stayed at home and kept everybody clean and fed at her house. So for a large part of the population, that's just never really been um, the way it was. But, The fact of the matter is since women bear children and have the breasts that feed the children for the most part, um, biologically it's been the case that to the extent that someone was going to need the assurance that when they were physically vulnerable, a partner was going to stand in the gap and take care of them and make sure that they could in turn take care of children, that usually was a man who was stepping in and and offering that protection. And women still are looking for that. And um, to the extent that men show that they are open about that, they're going to be winners. I really don't hear much from men who um, view women as their competition, largely because still today 
women are earning something like 69 cents on men's $1. So, and they're not necessarily competing for the same kinds of jobs either usually. Um, I remember when I was a college professor, and I've, I've retired from that to do this full-time now, but when I was a college professor, I was always very careful to work in institutions where they had an established pay scale. If you had worked this long, this was the money you got. If you published this many articles, here's how much money you got. And the reason I did it was all the other places were just, they were just handing a lot more money to the men. So I, I think that, you know, I don't know if you hear from a lot of men who feel that way, but I would just say it's not it, – I can't say their feeling isn't realistic because feelings are just feelings, but I can say that reality doesn't bear out that, um, that the world's really working that way. Men and women really aren't in that much competition for the exact same types and levels of jobs right now, even today. Well, maybe not where you are, but in New York City they sure as hell are. Well, you I know, come from the world of advertising right that, and Robert. marketing, and i got to tell you, you – it's yeah. one-on-one. There is no difference. The, um, maybe women aren't getting exactly the same pay yet, and they should, but they're competing for the same jobs. And in the industry, there's a lot of women who are running big agencies now and small agencies and big jobs on client side. So in the media business, there's a lot of, there's a lot of competition, and it's, uh, it's not men against men. and It's everybody. It's a big scrum. Well, and you could be right about that. I don't live where you live. Um, I'm giving you trends uh, for the whole nation, not for Manhattan. But um, be that as it may, it doesn't change one whit that if a man doesn't want to provide and protect, women really dislike that. It's almost the number one thing a man can do. So if a man were to go on a date and complain uh, or show through his behavior that, well, you know, you have a better job than I do. Why am I paying for this? That's not a real good move. I'm pretty pragmatic, and that's just not a good move. Even if it were true, it's not a good move. So how does the couple rectify that if, let's say, the woman is uh, making uh, $50,000 to $100,000 more than the guy, and they go out and they do their couple of dates, and he picks up the first two or three checks? Then what do you suggest? How do they manage it? Um. I suggest that if he really likes her, that he become well-informed about why women feel this way. It's not because they're digging for gold. It's because they come from a time, as do men, which precedes history, where their psychology tells them to want the things that got their ancestors to survive and thrive and successfully reproduce. And in the ancient past, women could not provide for children all on their own. They had to have, at the very least, an extended family who would help them, and more usually their life insurance policies carried a club and wore animal skins. So all over the world, for example, women who are wealthy want a partner who is wealthier still. Women want someone who can provide and protect even better than they can do it on their own. In that sense, men are not usually in competition with the women they are dating because normally women try to date men who actually do possess more resources than they have. There's a flip side to that, though. One of the reasons women will frequently try to date men with even greater resources is that women report that the guys feel inadequate and judged if they don't have more resources. In other words, it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, if that makes sense. Um, I have some very prominent female as well as male clients, and some of my more 
wealthy female clients have said they've tried to date men who make a lot less money than they themselves do and that it hasn't worked out because the man feels so awful about it. As far as your specific question of, um, you know, at what number date do they start splitting the tab or something, I think that once a couple has established that they're deeply emotionally involved enough that they want to be exclusive, uh, they don't want to see anybody else, Um, they uh, are making plans for the future, that kind of thing, at that point you start treating things more like um, that they're coming from a, a common pool. But before that, I'll give you an example. My husband and I lived an hour and a half apart when we first started dating, and he drove to see me. And I wouldn't let him spend the night. I had a very young child. So he's driving an hour and a half, spending time and money, driving back home. Now, if he does that once and he doesn't have a really good time, if if he's not yearning to see that woman again at the end of the date, he's not going to do it again, right? But if he's doing that several times and he's feeling like, wow, I like her more and more, in effect, having a barrier like he picks up the tab or he does the driving tells him how much he likes this woman. My biggest problem that my male clients have is not that they do too much for women and the women don't appreciate it. It's that sometimes women do too much for the guy and the guy gets confused and doesn't know whether he really likes her. One of the ways men know that they really like a specific woman is that they want to do more for her. Have you ever been, I mean, you're married. I assume that you really, when, when yeah. you got together with your wife, didn't you enjoy doing things for her? Of course. Yeah, Vic enjoyed that doing things for me too. And, of course, now we do a lot for each other. But at the beginning, he was courting me. And that didn't just help me to feel secure. It actually helped him to know that he really valued what he was trying to build with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I wish I could give you a calendar date. It sounds like you'd really like me to say, look, by the third date, you, she should be picking up something along the way, and by the fifth date, she should offer to pay. I can't say that because we don't have any scientific evidence that that would be advantageous for anyone. There's not. Mm-hmm. It's not a calendar date. It's kind of like some people get married after four and a half months, like my husband and I did, and some people get married after four and a half years, and both of them are valid ways to get married if you made sure that, that you had enough in common for that to work out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, let's move to uh, the, the one number where I, I, I disagree with you, doctor, is on uh, you know, the working women. The, work, the number mm-hmm. of working women has doubled since the 1950s. It was 34% yeah. in 1950. And now it's, it was 64%, 60% um, 20 years ago. So it's probably about 80% now. So I, I think the, 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 uh, the landscape has changed. And my question about how some guys might say, well, you know, how can things be the same when they're not? And it seemed like you were saying, well, they are the same. And I don't think they were. What I'm saying is our psychology has not changed very much, so that regardless of how many women are employed, women still highly value men's provision and protection, and they value it so much that if you're going out with a woman and somebody else offers to provide and protect and you don't, you lose. And so 
I'm trying to get my clients what they want. And if they're men and they want a particular woman to love them, I often get a phone call or a, it really usually starts with an email from a guy who um, wants to become my client because he's so into a specific woman and he wants to know how to court her. And I have to point out that if he wants that woman, odds are that he's not the only person interested in her. In effect, he's not really competing against her job so much as he's competing against the job other men are doing in courtship. And so if he's the one who, for example, on the first date says, I am really having a good time. I'd like to go ahead and plan the second date. Well, he's way ahead of the guy who waits three days and then maybe sends a text message that doesn't even allude to when they might get together again. So Mm -hmm. by giving this woman signs that he's going to offer security and notice that asking the woman on the next date while you're still on the first date, that's not offering financial security. It's an emotional kind of security, but by offering various forms of security to a woman he likes, he is standing out compared to his competition. His competition really isn't her job. His competition is the other guys. I would also caution though, um, for asking for the second date during the first date, maybe afterwards or at the very end, but during the first date could put a little pressure, particularly if the woman's not interested, that not that interested, if there's no sparkles there, you know, sometimes guys, they go out on the first date and that could be a coffee date or a drink or something like that. And they think it's going great. And the woman's like, can't wait to leave. And it's, you know, people have different ways of reading the signals and men aren't as adept at it as women. So I would, I would caution in that area about asking for the second date. I mean, you can express interest, but the woman might be like, Oh God, I have to like say no again to this guy. Um, you know, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, you know, well, I do know what you mean. Uh, I've often noted that the difference between a boyfriend and a stalker is whether the attention is wanted. So you have to be somewhat adept at, at reading the room and seeing whether she likes you. I mean, you, ha- you have to feel pretty sure the date's going well if you're going to use that technique. Um, when a man shows openly that he likes a woman, a woman who's inclined to like him will find that that gives her security and helps her like him even more. A woman mm-hmm. who doesn't like the guy is made very uncomfortable by it, and it pushes her away. Right. But really what it's telling you is something that was possibly, and I would say probably, going to be revealed anyway. Um, so I will say that my male clients who ask for the second date during the first date, and I teach them the signs to look for, but um, if, they, if they do that, they've had great success with that. And similarly, right now, when guys are playing it cool by just sending a, hey, how you doing, text message, three right. days later, uh, they can't compete with the guy who's already got the next date set and actually calls her. They just can't compete because that guy's showing her more security and more of what she really wants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it's a big risk for him because if she doesn't like him, yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah. So your second book um, about dating uh, single uh, mothers, I guess, dating, what was your biggest tip for them? Well, it's really for all single parents. Um, And my biggest tip for them is that whether you're male or female, you need to learn the signs of someone who's good, not just for you, but for your kids. Because 
you've all already been through the ringer and you don't need to go through it again. And what's the biggest challenge between men and women when they're uh, single parents uh, getting into the uh, dating game again? Uh, the biggest challenge seems to be that women usually don't lower their standards very much, but we usually um, have a harder time getting uh, getting positive attention from men once we have a child in tow. Men don't tend to have quite as much of an issue getting attention when they have children, partly because still right now today, custody doesn't tend to be quite 50-50. It's a lot better than it was. It used to be women got almost exclusive custody, and now there's more people who uh, do 60-40. But Mm 50-50 is still kind of unusual. So um, whichever parent has has the most custody, it tends to be harder for them to find time to date and to get people interested in dating them. So I kind of teach people, you know, how to overcome those barriers and how to make the most of the time that they have to date so that they um, basically don't waste a lot of time with people who can't give them and their kids what they need and want. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the book comes out in January. Yeah, it comes out January 7th. Uh, it's Love Factually for Single Parents and Those Dating Them. And uh it's just chock full of stories who, of people who have, you know, obviously all of us in the book loved and lost, but then we loved again and succeeded. I had somebody really disappointed recently who had done everything, quote, unquote, right and gotten involved with someone who turned out to be wrong for her. And she was just really distressed because she felt like if you do everything right, then it turns out the way you want it. And I said, oh, hon. I was proposed to by four men other than my husband while I was a single parent. Just because you do things the quote-unquote right way doesn't mean that everybody who comes in your, into your path and purview and who courts you is going to wind up being the right match for you. It just means that you'll, you'll have fewer meaningless relationships and you'll have more insight into what, what's really going to work for you and if you have kids, what's going to work for them. But uh, as one of my friends says, marriage is a blood sport, not marriage, uh, dating is a blood sport. And, <laughs> and it's, you know, there, even, even when you do it, uh, quote unquote, by the book, there will still be people, whether you're male or female, who will be interested in you who are probably not right for you. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that is important to learn is what are your standards? Are they appropriate? Are they workable? And how do you find people who meet them? Right. Well, I always like to say that dating is a fun sport versus a blood sport, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I don't think there's enough fun out there when it comes to dating. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm not, sad I don't to think hear dating that... is really fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I well, don't think dating, dating, especially when you're a single parent, it's more like um, there are moments of fun, but it's a pretty, but it's pretty serious, really. I mean, you can mm-hmm. you can be lighthearted on the date, but the, but dating as an activity is pretty serious when you have to make such a high level choice for um, for lots of people. You know, I mean, when you're when you're dating someone with kids, you're dating effectively, you're dating their whole extended family. Right. How about for single people? Uh, for single people without kids the stakes are just a whole lot lower. And mm-hmm. so they can afford to 
you know, be a little less careful about it. It's interesting. The tone in my first book is different than the tone in my second book. I I asked the editors and the designers in the book, you know, what they thought of that. And they said, well, there's only so much humor you can interject or inject into the topic of physical and sexual abuse. I mean, you know, a lot of people who've been divorced, about a third, in fact, of people who've been divorced have been seriously abused. So I had to include that topic in my second book, but not in my first book so much. Um, so yeah, when you're single and neither one of you has children, it's a, it's a much more lighthearted affair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the but stakes are the good news harder. is, yeah, there are a lot, I mean, you, you have a five-year-old son, I think I heard you saying. Yeah. And I'm sure he means the world to you. And if God forbid you needed to find someone else to help you parent him, that would be a much more serious search than the first one you encountered. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you and your where they can get your book and uh, your services, et cetera? Sure. Well, it's very easy to find me. I'm at Love Factually with an F, lovefactually.co. And there they can get a free chapter of both my books. Um, they can, here in a couple of weeks, I'll have the pre-order for the second book and the downloadable free notebook that goes with the second book. But there's a lot of free stuff there now, and they can be notified when the second book goes live if they wish to be. And uh, there's a, a tab there about my, account, my uh, coaching services as well. So they can get in touch with me that way. Okay. Fantastic. Oh, and I answer all email for free. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Duena, um, thank you so much. Duena Welch, our special guest, Love Factually for Single Parents is the new book coming out January 7th, I believe, and those who date them. Um, thanks so much for being on Guys Guys Radio. Very interesting insights you have, and I'm sure you're helping a lot of people, so keep up the good work. Thank you very much. You have a good night, and uh, my best to everyone listening. Okay, thanks so much. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll wrap up. The Guys Guys Radio. Okay, we're back, Guys Guys Radio. We're just going to wrap up the show. Um, again, Duena Welch, special guest, uh, Love Factually, or her books and uh, blog. I uh, hope you enjoyed our discussion. Um, you know, we don't have to agree on everything, but that's part of uh, being on Guys Guys Radio. We want to offer all different points of view, and um, as long as they're backed by some logic and uh, some facts and that's that's great so uh viva la difference and um that's that's good because we're all doing good work here so on guys guys radio so thank you for listening we're going to be back on uh wednesday night with another show at 7 p.m so uh make it a good week and make sure you get out there to vote nothing's going to happen if you don't vote so uh you can complain about what's going on as much as you want but if you don't vote It's really hard to complain. So get out there and do it. And uh, remember what I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.